Welcome to SCOTUScast, Attenuation and Suppression Edition. Thank you for tuning in. On June 20th, 2016, the Supreme Court decided Utah v. Strife. A police officer detained Edward Strife after seeing him leave a residence that the officer believed, based on an anonymous tip and his own surveillance, was a, was a base for drug dealing. A relay of Strife's identification to a police dispatcher revealed an outstanding warrant for a traffic violation. The officer then arrested Strife and searched him, discovering methamphetamine and drug paraphernalia. Strife ultimately persuaded the Utah Supreme Court to order that evidence suppressed as the fruit of an unlawful stop. By a vote of 5-3, to three, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the judgment of the Utah Supreme Court. Justice Thomas delivered the opinion of the court, which held that the evidence the officer seized as part of the search incident to arrest was admissible because the officer's discovery of the arrest warrant attenuated the connection between the unlawful stop and the evidence seized incident to arrest. Justice Thomas's majority opinion was joined by the Chief Justice and Justices Kennedy, Breyer, and Alito. Justice Sotomayor filed the dissenting opinion, in which Justice Ginsburg joined as to Parts 1, 2, and 3. Justice Kagan filed the dissenting opinion, in which Justice Ginsburg joined. To discuss the case, we have Oren S. Kerr, who is Fred C. Stevenson Research Professor of Law at the George Washington University Law School. As always, the Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. And now, Professor Kerr. Utah versus Strife is a case about the scope of the Fourth Amendment exclusionary rule. It's the first exclusionary rule case that the Supreme Court has decided in about five years, uh, and in some sense is uh, maybe a bellwether as to where the court is going on the scope of the controversial exclusionary rule, which of course is the rule that evidence that is unconstitutionally obtained can't be used in a criminal case by the government. Uh, the purpose of the exclusionary rule, the Supreme Court has made clear, is to deter constitutional violations, and the Supreme Court has articulated a complicated framework of doctrine for when evidence should be suppressed following a constitutional violation. The particular issue in strife was whether evidence obtained following a search incident to arrest was part of the constitutional violation uh, uh, from an unlawful stop of the individual. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled five to three that the evidence should not be suppressed in a majority opinion by Justice Thomas. The facts of the case are very simple. Uh, an officer received an anonymous tip that there was drug activity involving a house. Uh, he uh, put the house under surveillance. He would go watch the house from time to time to see what was going on. He didn't see anything particularly suspicious, although there was some foot traffic coming from the house. He decided uh, to stop the next person who left the house, and that happened to be Mr. Strife. Uh, he, officer stopped Strife, uh, asked for ID. Strife handed over an identification card. Uh, and then the officer ran a warrant check on the identification card and then learned that the individual Strife uh, had a warrant out for his arrest. At that point, the officer arrests Strife based on the warrant, searches Strife, and finds drugs uh, on his person, leading to his arrest for possession of the narcotics, uh, and, or, or leading to, to, to the, uh, sorry, he'd already been arrested, but leading to the uh, admission of evidence of the narcotics. Uh, Strife is charged with possession of the drugs, moves to suppress the evidence, says, hey, wait a minute, the search of my person was the fruit of an unconstitutional stop. In particular, Strife says, the officer should not have stopped me 
because the officer lacked reasonable suspicion under the line of cases beginning with Terry versus Ohio. Uh, Terry versus Ohio requires reasonable suspicion based on specific and articulable facts to make the initial stop. And Strife's argument is that the discovery of the drugs on his person really follows from the illegal stop. The question in the case essentially is one of causation. Did the uh, illegal stop lead to the discovery of the evidence of the drugs, or was it the warrant that led to the discovery of the drugs? In an opinion by Justice Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court ruled that the evidence should not be suppressed. The court applied a three-factor framework from a 1975 precedent, Brown v. Illinois, Uh, And so the court said there are three questions we look at. First, we look to the temporal proximity between the unconstitutional conduct and the discovery of the evidence. Second, we consider the presence of intervening circumstances. And third, we consider the purpose and flagrancy of the official misconduct. Justice Thomas conceded that the temporal proximity uh, prong, or part of the test, was in Strife's favor. The evidence was discovered quite soon after the illegal stop occurred. On the other hand, Justice Thomas said, uh, the presence of intervening circumstances and the flagrancy of the misconduct points in the government's favor, and for that reason, the evidence should not be suppressed. Uh, In particular, Justice Thomas said, well, the the warrant itself is an intervening circumstance. Uh, There was independent cause to arrest strife, uh, and, and therefore, the fact of the warrant uh, essentially negated the initial illegal stop. The discovery of the warrant, the fact of the warrant, was an intervening circumstance, and in effect, the, the arrest was made based on the warrant rather than based on the initial stop. Uh, next, uh, Justice Thomas says, well, in particular, the, the purpose, uh, looking to the purpose and flagrancy of the misconduct, this was merely a negligent error. The officer uh, did not flagrantly violate the Fourth Amendment in making the initial stop. Yeah, the stop was concededly illegal. Uh, the officer did not have specific and articulable facts to think that strife was engaged in criminal activity or that strife uh, was in possession of drugs. But at the same time, it was not an egregious error. And the court said, you know, we, we don't think there's evidence that this was a, 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 an intentional error or something part of a broader scheme of misconduct. And therefore, the two elements from Brown versus Illinois point towards the exclusionary rule not applying, and therefore the exclusionary rule did not apply. Uh, there were two dissents in the case, one from Justice Sotomayor, joined in part by uh, Justice Ginsburg. Justice Sotomayor argued that essentially the court was inviting uh, unconstitutional stops. The last part of Justice Sotomayor's uh, opinion drew a tremendous amount of press attention. Uh, It it effectively um, brought in issues involved in the Black Lives Matter movement and said that those were implicated in this decision. Um, At the same time, that part of the opinion was not joined by any other justice. Uh, And then finally, Justice Kagan also dissented, and she said, just looking at the elements from Brown versus Illinois, there were no intervening circumstances here because this case played out pretty much exactly as the officer would have suspected. Uh, It turns out a lot of people have warrants out for their arrest, uh, and as a result, an officer can make an illegal stop and can ask for ID and can run the warrant check and then find somebody who happens to have a warrant out for their arrest, and that's actually all part of the same occurrence uh, from Justice Kagan's perspective. And as for the purpose and flagrancy of the misconduct, she just had a different approach uh, uh, than the majority. Instead of looking just in isolation at what 
um, saying this must have been just a one-off error. She said this was actually quite intentional. Uh, this was all part of an intentional course of conduct. Uh, and therefore, she just looked at the case quite quite differently. From, her, from Justice Kagan's perspective, uh, essentially what the court was doing was inviting the police to make illegal stops, especially in communities where a lot of people have warrants out for their arrest. And it, it turns out, although this might surprise some people, uh, in a lot of communities, a quite high percentage of individuals have warrants out for their arrest um, from very, very minor type problems, you know, m- small traffic uh, violations, for example. And it, it turns out they didn't uh, pay the ticket, and therefore there's a warrant out for their arrest. Uh, and so from Justice Kagan's perspective, the court's decision really did invite illegal stops. And the whole point of the exclusionary rule is to avoid uh, that sort of invitation. So what to make of the court's decision? Well, if you look at the history, no criminal defendant has won an exclusionary rule case since 1990 uh, at the Supreme Court. Granted, there have been defendants that have won in cases, uh, criminal cases, on the merits of the Fourth Amendment, but in a case where it was actually the scope of the exclusionary rule that was being litigated, no criminal defendant has won since 1990. So uh, in some sense, this is uh, the latest in a long uh, uh, line of cases in which the government has won in, in the exclusionary rule uh, context. Uh, I think largely reflecting the fact that uh, among, in particular, the conservative justices, cutting back on the exclusionary rule uh, has long been a priority. Uh, there's a sense that the exclusionary rule is kind of a, a made-up judicial doctrine that isn't part of the original Fourth Amendment. Uh, whether or not that's true is actually much more complicated than you might think. But but that's at least the that's at least the the thought. Um, and, and in this case, uh, Justice Breyer joined the re- Republican appointed justices uh, to create the five justice majority in the absence of Justice Scalia who uh, would have almost certainly ruled in the government's favor uh, in the Strife case. Uh, I think Justice Scalia never ruled uh, for a criminal defendant in an exclusionary rule case uh, under the Fourth Amendment in his career as a a justice. So um, we have a 5-3 majority opinion. One thing that's striking about the majority is that it really requires criminal defendants to make the case in a routine suppression uh, case that the government's unconstitutional act was part of a broader scheme of misconduct. It wasn't just isolated negligence. This is an extraordinarily difficult burden for the gover- for the defendant to have to satisfy. Uh, effectively, the court is saying that a defendant needs to put the government on trial, needs to say that the government is engaged in wide-scale misconduct, just in the context of bringing a, a case, a, a simple exclusionary rule uh, uh, motion, and can a defendant really do that? What What is a trial judge going to say when a defendant says, I'm filing a motion to suppress, we have a simple Fourth Amendment case, by the way, I need to bring, I need to, to put the entire police department on trial. You know, trial judges ordinarily are not going to allow that, and yet the court seems to be indicating that that's required if a defendant wants to win. So to some extent, you wonder if the court's doctrine isn't just setting up defendants to fail by giving them a burden they need to satisfy uh, that they can't satisfy just because trial judges are not going to allow them to put all that evidence on the record. In terms of which opinion was the most persuasive, I think Justice Kagan was really the one who had uh, the best argument. Uh, I think she's quite right 
that the uh, court's rule essentially invites officers to make illegal stops, at least when they have some reason to think that individuals will have warrants out for their arrest, which in a lot of communities where the court is, in, you know, where the officers are engaged in policing, is 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 common. Um, so so going forward, you know, th- this opinion I think really does tell the police: listen, you can go to communities uh, where crime rates are high. You can go to communities where individuals are, are known to having you know, fifty, sixty percent of the of the adults have warrants out for their arrest. You can stop people, and it's okay uh, if you make an illegal stop. Just don't make it an egregiously illegal stop, and we'll see going forward where trial judges draw that line as to what's an egregious violation and what is not a violation. In, this, in the exclusionary rule context, you always have to wonder, are the justices ultimately trying to take the exclusionary rule uh, and turn it into the doctrine of qualified immunity, where there's no liability, that is no exclusionary rule, unless it is on its face just a clear violation of the law, that any officer should have looked at that and said, wow, that's just, that's just clearly illegal. Um, is that where the court is going with uh, the exclusionary rule? Um, it might be, and this the Strife case is certainly consistent with that um, idea, it's not yet clear, though, because the court frames the doctrine uh, as being an application of the 1975 Brown versus Illinois decision. And so that at least on its face, the court is not telling us that the good faith exception or the exclusionary rule is, is all about the qualified immunity standard. The court might go there. Uh, we don't know. You know to, really, I think you have to say, tell me who's going to be on the Supreme Court in five years in order to know whether the, the doctrine's going to go that direction. And of course, we just don't know who's going to be on the court uh, the next time this issue comes up. So uh, stay tuned uh, for the next chapter of this long-running episode on the scope of the exclusionary rule. We have a win for the government in strife, a significant win, uh, and one uh, that we're going to watch to see its impact in the lower courts in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cast. For more episodes of Cast, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at www.federalistsociety.org slash multimedia.